Good morning, and greetings in Jesus' name here this morning. This next statement will come as no surprise to many, but I view myself as a rather organized person, and it depends who you ask, borderline OCD, but to me it's just, just normal life. Everything needs to have a place, everything needs to be in that place. And it can be at times slightly, um, shall we say, overbearing to my poor wife as she does her best to keep the house in um, or in organized fashion, as I would see it. And as we go through remodeling our attic, organized is not necessarily a word that is um, very prevalent in our house right now, but we're getting there. But there's something that I have in my life that I think shows this possibly better than any other area. And that is my tools. I do like my tools. I like my tools to be in order. If you had to go to my shop and to find a tool for me, I could tell you within a few inches probably where that tool is. And if it's not there, then either I didn't do my job or, well, I'll blame it on someone else maybe. But my, my pack out system is something that I, I enjoy a lot. And the reason for that, I'm not gonna open it up because it would all dump out, but there's all little compartments. Every single size of screw, every type of screw, it's in its compartment. It's, it's where it has to be. It's, I can grab it. It's not a mess. It's, it's just right where it has to be. And the next one, my dad actually got this for me. But this one here is all cut out. It's like, it, it just fits, right? It, I mean, this just makes my OCD just extremely, extremely happy when everything just has a place and it's, it's where it's supposed to be. And if I'm working on a project, I throw tools in there and I go, it's there. I, I, I know where it's at. And no, this morning's sermon is not sponsored by Milwaukee or anything else you see represented there. The problem though, is when we approach our lives as I approach my Milwaukee pack out. We think that our lives are just a bunch of individual compartments and we can put those in spots where they belong. And when we need to, we take that compartment out and we do whatever we have to do with that compartment and that's how we treat our lives as individual aspects. And so this morning, I don't want to see our lives as a Milwaukee pack out or any organizer, but rather as an interconnected um, part of all these holes. So this morning, I want us to see that our lives or not the sum of their individual and separate parts, but rather that all aspects of our lives are to honor and to glorify the Father. And so a brief outline, we're going to talk about a few various compartments that I feel are easy to compartmentalize in our lives. We're going to look at some biblical examples of this, some who did well, some who did poor, and how it affected their life. And then also, at the end, look at an interconnected life. And that is the title of the sermon this morning, the interconnected life. So while I don't have time to expand on all the areas of our lives as separate parts and look at them as individuals, there's a few I want to look at. We're going to start with church this morning. You see, church is very easy to put into a compartment as a building, as a set of services we do. I mean, think about it. Even our Sunday morning order of service can be individual compartments. We, we, we come to expect that we sit down and there's, there's three songs, not two, there's, there's three songs. We have a compartment, all right? We have songs, then we have a devotional. We expect a five to 10 minute devotional. 
Then we have a Sunday school time. We even call it the Sunday school hour, right? It's another compartment. And then we put that one away, and then we have the offering and song. You guys know how it goes. Even our order of service. And I'm not pointing any fingers at the superintendents or song leaders or anything. I'm just saying, do you, you begin to see how, how often we put our lives into little boxes, don't you? And I believe a factor of this is the individualism that is creeping in. It's prevalent in our world, it's prevalent in our society, and it's prevalent in the church as well. I remember a conversation I had with a Grenadian man on the streets of St. George's. And I remember, he had, I think he told me he was a Christian. I said, great. And the next question was, you know, what church do you go to? And his response has stuck with me over these years. This has been many, many years ago. He said that, I, I don't have a church. I don't need a church. Church between me and God. That's all that needs to happen. And this, this, this idea is very prevalent in our society, isn't it? This idea that, look, you don't tell me what to do, and I'm not going to tell you what to do. I'm going to mind my business. I'm going to live my life as I want, and you do that too. I, that's fine. And that idea is very prevalent in the world, and unfortunately it's creeping into our church as well. But what happens when we reduce church into simply another compartment of our lives, all we have is soon it's just, well, church is limited to two hours on a Sunday morning. An hour and a half on a Wednesday evening and a Sunday night, maybe. And soon church is just simply another one of the many compartments in our toolbox. And see, church is, church is so much more than that, isn't it? Church is a people. Church is a brotherhood. Church is a community. Church is a family. And when church is viewed like that, the outcome, the, what happens because of that is church becomes a way of life rather than just a compartment of our lives. Church is now operated as a, as a body of unified members, not as separate individual compartments, each doing their own thing. And because all that can happen, the church is then able to fulfill its mission to glorify God and to worship Him by showing a dying world the hope and love of Christ. And if you need another resource for the church, listen to Zach's sermon, beginning of September, I think, Why Church? Fantastic resource. Another compartment of our lives that is easy to reduce to a simple little screw container is worship. I once again talked about how you come, to you come to Sunday morning and you expect a few songs and we call that, you know, that's our worship time, right? It's a few songs in church on a morning. Maybe there's a song service sometime, but you know, that's our worship time. And we use term, terms like I just said, like our worship time. And just re, re, keeps reducing worship to simply another compartment that we can pull out of our toolbox on a Sunday morning. And then we worship and then we pack it away in a safe spot for the rest of the week. A.W. Tozer wrote a book entitled The Purpose of Man. Where he states that the purpose of man is to worship God in all that he does for all of his life. So here's a, here's a quote from Tozer. He says, the more we treat worship as an event the more it becomes a character or a mocking of God's intention and is unacceptable to him. Worship is not simply an event where you sing a few songs and, you, and that's worship. Worship is an attitude. It's also a response. When you are face to face with the glory of God, the majesty of God, the involuntary outpouring of that as a believer is worship. Look at the Psalms over and over again. The Psalms begin by the greatness of God, the grandeur of God. Look at what God has done and then what comes next. 
the psalmist just cries out, praise the Lord. Psalm 95, 3 through 6 illustrates this. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. In his hands are the deep place of the earth. The strength of the hills is his also. The sea is his and he made it. His hand formed the dry land. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. That's what worship is. Worship is a response. You see God's greatness and you respond in worship. You see who God is, what he has done, and you respond in worship. That's worship. Worship is just an outpouring. It's, it's, it's supposed to be natural. And what's great about that is that it does not require anything physical. There's no physical buildings. There's no physical music. Worship is in spirit. And see, worship is also a choice. You see, God could have created a, or made a bunch of robots and turned them loose on earth. And they would, could have been programmed every five minutes to worship God. But God would have got no glory from that. There's no glory in, in receiving something from an object that is programmed to do that very thing. And if your child is, is being disobedient to you and says, I love you, Daddy, or I love you, Mommy, you don't get any joy in that because there's no obedience there. There's no choice. God created us with a will and with an ability to choose. And when we involuntarily worship God as a choice of our will, then is when God gets glory. So what then is worship? If it's not just an activity, what is worship? What did Jesus tell the Samaritan woman in John 4? True worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such as to worship him. God is a spirit, and that worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. God is a spirit. We are made in the likeness of God. Therefore, we have a spirit. And when we worship, we worship on a spirit level. That's why material things are not necessary. Material things that we can feel will not enable our worship. It can sometimes, unfortunately, hinder our worship. So our worship is guided by the Holy Spirit, and it comes in our spirit. When you worship in that response to God's nature, that is worship. We also worship in truth. When we worship, we are completely honest, completely open before God. And as we're worshiping, if we are convicted, we confess. If God calls a certain thing in your life, you respond in surrender. Worship in truth. I taught the New Believers class a few weeks ago, and there was a section on worship that I taught. And a quote came out there that said, Worship is not complete until we willingly surrender to his will. If you're going to stand on a Sunday morning and worship God, but in your heart you're not surrendered to him, in your heart you're not giving him a part of your life, he gets no glory from that. He gets nothing from that. But when a child of God surrenders to the will of God, worships God, now God gets glory from that. God can get honor from that. So worship and surrender must be combined in one. Tozer concludes his book on, on the purpose of man by saying worship is not a spotlight focusing on one area of life. True worship, worship that is pleasing to God, radiates throughout a person's entire life. Worship is not limited to a set of events that you do on a Sunday morning or a Wednesday night. It is evident in your entire life. That's worship. So let's not compartmentalize worship in our life. What about our work? Damien, last Sunday in his devotional, talked about vocational discipleship. 
The idea that our work is simply an extension of our faith. And so many times it's easy for me to put work into a neat little box in my toolbox and just keep it there, separate from everything else. But no, in and through my work, I have the ability to showcase the life, the attributes, and the love of Jesus Christ to all I come in contact with. What about our money? If you missed Wednesday night service, go, go check it out. Ed had a great topic on our finances, giving and debt. But what about our money? Isn't that something we easily put into a box? And we can easily separate it and say, like, this is God's money, this is my money. It, they're, they're separate. They're in different boxes, different compartments. God gets his part, I get my part. Psalm 24, 1, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, and all that dwell in is. It's all God's. You're just beginning a steward of what he has given you. The gifts, the talents, the possessions, everything, it's all his. Another area of our lives that is quickly compartmentalized is parenting. And this one was real for me as I was studying. I talked about work. A lot of you know I'm in college. Studied this week for the sermon. And it's easy to put my parenting into a little box. And I find this imaginary switch that I can hit. Turn it on and turn it off. I go up in my attic and close the door. And so when distractions come, it's not usually uh, welcomed. And so while I'm at work, it's easy to not be a parent just because of my location. But what about when I'm at home and I'm doing other things? It's easy to forsake my fatherly duties. And I just feel like I'm just jumping in between boxes, work, college, church, parenting, right? These aren't compartments of our lives. A few others I want to briefly mention. What about our service as Christians that God calls us to? Often seen as an individual part. I taught school in Grenada for a year. It's easy just to put that, you know, in a little compartment. You know, that's, that's my service to God. All right, did that, done. Great, you know, to God be the glory. But that, that's different. Now, now it's my time, all right? Now I can pursue my career and my agenda and do what I want to do, right? What about our hobbies or our me time? Rest and recreation are important, but they're not separate parts of our lives. All aspects of our lives are to be under the Lordship of Christ. I talked about parenting, and the one that goes with that is our marriages, where you can separate that very quickly. You know, I'm at work, you know, now, now I'm an employee, you know, now that's the part. I come home, flip that switch on again, and you go. The point that I'm trying to make is not that these aspects are all the only lists that you could make. There'd be others. But unfortunately, too often treat our, our lives and our schedules as the way I treat my tools. And I put them in little compartments. And that's not the way our lives are supposed to be lived. And so I, I could stand up here this morning and I could give this illusion of what this could look like in the life of a believer. But instead, I want to look at a few Bible characters. And as I mention them, I want you to think of, did they compartmentalize their lives? Or did they understand that their lives are not simply a bunch of individual compartments, but are to be all to honor and glorify God? We're going to start with the bad examples and end up on the good ones. What about David? David. 
Now you could argue David could be a good example of this. Look at look, look how he worshiped throughout his life. As a shepherd boy taking care of the sheep, he worshiped. He's running from King Saul, running for his very life. And some of the most beautiful psalms are over that time. He worshiped God. What about when he was a king? He danced before the Lord. He sacrificed to the Lord. He worshiped. However, David reached a point in his life where he claimed and compartmentalized his time. And he took some me time for himself. Has anyone ever seen Sight and Sound Theater's production of David? Fantastic. At one time, they really emphasized as, as, as his life as a king, how he would go to war, and then he'd be victorious, he would come back, he would sing his praises, and then the people would be there like, David, David, we need you, solve our problems. And then he would sit down on his throne, he would solve the problems. And then his family's yelling, David, David, we need you. So then he would go to his family, and it just continues over and over again. War, judge, family, war, just, and eventually he broke. Eventually he said, enough is enough. And that led to his absence from war when he should have been there. That led to his adultery, to murder, and to the ensuing cover-up. David compartmentalized his time, and it was detrimental to his life. What about Samson? Samson is a guy who you would think had everything going for him. He had parents that loved him and took care of him. He had physical strength that is the envy of anybody. He had a direct calling from God, and God enabled him to carry out that calling. And because of that, he was famous. People knew who Samson was. But unfortunately, Samson compartmentalized his personal life and his service to God. Those were two separate areas of his life and his mind. So as he madly followed his sensual pleasures and desires and passions, and then the next chapter, he's rescuing the Israelites from oppression. It's just back and forth, right? Follow this, rescue the people. He compartmentalized his service, and his life. And eventually it brought him to shame. It brought him to slavery and his demise. Samson compartmentalized his service to God and his personal life. The last one here, how about Ananias and Sapphira? Similar to Samson in that God could have got a lot of glory from this couple's life. But unfortunately, they saw fame, they saw praise as something to be attained rather than honesty and humility. And Ananias and Sapphira, they compartmentalized their money. And you could say, well, it wasn't really that it was their line and deceiving. And yes, you're right. But still, they drew a clear line. All right, this is the church's money. We'll put that in compartment over here. And this is our money. We'll put that in compartment over here. Unfortunately, it led to their deaths. Compartmentalizing our lives. Look at, let's look at two good examples now. The first one, and you could make this a good illustration of probably anything, it's the life of Jesus. Even at a young age, he was always about his father's work, in the temple, teaching, preaching. But unlike David, Jesus did not compartmentalize his time. Unlike Samson, he did not compartmentalize his service to God and his personal life. And one area I think really, in Jesus' life, that really showcases this is his schedule. I tend to be a very project-oriented person. If I set my sights on a goal, whether it's studying or a project I'm working on, I, I'm focused on it. And I talked about interruptions earlier. Those are not always welcomed because they, did, they distract me from my goal. But look at the life of Jesus. 
and how his life was. His schedule was so often interrupted as he was constantly ministering to the demanding needs around him. Let's look at two illustrations. The first one is when Jairus came to him. It's like, Master, my little girl, she's dying, come. We don't know what Jesus was doing at that time, but he said, yes, I'm coming. So he left, all right? He had a focus now, save Jairus' daughter. What happens when he's going? The woman touches, touches his clothes, and he stopped. Jesus, there's a, there's a girl dying, and he stopped right there. He took care of that need, he blessed that woman, and then he moved on. Look, think about the other time when he was sitting in the house, He's teaching, he's preaching, and all of a sudden, up above him, a man comes through the roof on a bed. Now, if I get to the crux of my sermon this morning and someone interrupts me, like, that's gonna be a problem, all right? Like, I'm focused right now. Not Jesus. He stopped his preaching, and he took care of the man. He healed him. He used that as, an illust- as a, a teaching point. And then, I'm assuming, he got back to his sermon, whatever he was working on. Jesus did not compartmentalize his time, or his schedule. Through all throughout his life, as he was going, as he was walking, wherever he was going, he was able to be used by God to touch many lives. The next one I want to talk about is Joseph. A man who is rightly praised for his purity, for his stand against temptation and his perseverance in tough times. But none of those things could be said about Joseph had he compartmentalized his personal life and his service. If we go a brief overview of Joseph's life where he was sold by merchant, two merchants by his brothers and those merchants sold him again to slavery to an Egyptian couple, wrongly accused, then wrongly imprisoned and then forgotten and then finally raised to fame and to prestige. But through it all, it says the Lord was with Joseph and Joseph was with God. Joseph recognized that no matter where he was in life, no matter what his situation was in life, his life was to be a service to God. And he ruled well as a slave, he ruled well as a prisoner, and he ruled well as second in command of all of Egypt. Joseph recognized that his life is not to be compartmentalized. The interconnected life. So many compartments of our life, and so easily it is to put things into little boxes like my Milwaukee pack out, where everything fits in, there's dividers, there's boxes, everything has its place. And when I need something, I can grab a box, and, I, and that's just what I need. I don't grab the whole thing sometimes. But in the life of the believer, there's no clear lines. There's no sacred aspect of our life where we go to church and we have our worship and our, and our Christian service, and then over here there's a secular aspect. That's not in the life of the believer. There's no lines there. And so we're gonna look at four verses this morning four separate verses from both the Old and New Testament, and we're going to see how their underlying theme and, under, and interconnected focus. So turn with me to Joshua 22 and verse 5. Joshua 22 and verse 5. Joshua is addressing the people as they return to their lands. And this is his, his parting words, his parting advice to them. He says, But take diligent heed to do the commandments and the law which Moses, the servant of the Lord, charged you. 
to love the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways and to keep his commandments and to cleave unto him and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. Let's jump forward to, in the New Testament now, 1 Corinthians 10. First Corinthians 10, we're going to read verse 31. Paul writes, Whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, you do all to the glory of God. And then I'm going to tread on dad's toes a little bit and go to Colossians 3. Colossians 3, let's use verse 23. Verse 17 could be used as well. Let's look at verse 23. Paul again, he writes, And whatsoever you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord and not unto men. And the fourth and last one, 1 Peter 4. First Peter 4, verse 11. Peter writes, if any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. If any man minister, let him do it as the ability which God giveth, that God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom we praise and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Did you catch the call to an interconnected life? The word all is mentioned five times in those four verses all of our lives. But the call is, 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 is to serve God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind. Whether we're eating, whether we're drinking, whatever we're doing, all to the honor of God. Seek to honor God in all you do. And whatever you do, God gets the glory. God gets the honor. And that's the call that I want to leave this morning. We looked at those compartments earlier, church, worship, work, money, parenting, service, marriage, hobbies, time, different compartments. But no, they're not separate. They are all connected by singular focus and passion to glorify God in all that we do. That's the call this morning. And I believe that these different aspects should be so interwoven in the life of a believer that you can't tell them apart. There's no clear stopping and starting between these different things. So to the extent that church extends from a Sunday morning worship time all throughout the week, as we encourage, interact, and aid each other as we show a dying world the love and the hope of Christ. We worship God, yes, at church, but also at your work, through your financial decisions, and by being the best parents and spouses we can do, be. Another worship quote by E.W. Tozer you are not worshiping right in any place until you're worshiping God right in every place. If you're going to stand here on a Sunday morning and worship God, but the rest of your life is not worshiping, God gets nothing from that. Worship encompasses every part of our life, and we do so correctly. And our work is no longer simply a means to a paycheck, but an avenue through which God's name is glorified as we serve Christ as he would. As stewards of the money and time God has given us, we glorify the God, the Father, through our use of his resources. 
Our parenting and our marriages are so interwoven and our lives become a channel through which the care, love, and faithfulness of God is magnified in those aspects. And too often God is, is given our leftovers. We worship all the world has to offer, their celebrities, their sports stars, and then we come on a Sunday morning, we give him the, our leftover worship for a few minutes. We give God our leftover time, whether it's studying for our sermon, Sunday study, studying for a Sunday school lesson, and it's like, well, isn't it funny how those weeks often fill up pretty quick? Oh, I didn't have time to study this week. And so we just give God the leftovers. You know, God, here's, here's what's left after my agenda was accomplished. You know, I got done what I wanted to get done. Or our money, we give God the leftovers. After my materialism is satisfied and my wants are filled, okay, God, now you can have some of what's left over. We serve God with all our strength and all that we do, for it is his honor and his glory. Unfortunately, I can't lay out a three-step plan to eradicate, compartmentalize mentality in our lives and to establish an interconnected life. But I think there's two things that if this is going to happen, you're going to have to have. The first one, love God. Jesus said in Matthew 22, 37, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. If you're going to have an interconnected life, you're going to love God. Without an all-encompassing love and desire for God, we're not going to grant him the lordship over every area of our life. Without love, there's not going to be any surrender to his plan and to what he has for us. Without love, we're not going to seek his glory in all that we do. We need love. And without love, we can't worship him. You can't worship someone or something that you don't love. The next point to establishing an interconnected life is to establish and live with eternal focus. Realizing that life is not about us. Life is not about the things that I own or the knowledge that I obtain. Realizing that money and time are both a gift from God and that the life that I live is only a small speck in the grand scheme of all eternity. And as we live with that focus, we live with that mentality Every aspect, every compartment of our lives is soon going to be so interwoven because it's under one goal, to glorify God as we, street, as we attain towards heaven. So in conclusion this morning, our lives are not like my Milwaukee pack out. They're not composed of separate parts and bins and separators with nice foam cutouts for every tool. That's not what our lives are supposed to look like. Rather, every aspect of our life is to be lived for the glory and honor of God. And interwoven so much into the fabric of our life is our church, our worship, our work, our time, our money, our parenting, our marriages. It's all so interwoven, you can't tell a difference from anything. But if this is going to happen, it's going to require a selfless love, a committed love for God, and an eternal focus on Jesus Christ realizing that every decision is made for his honor and for his glory. And in the end, our lives, our entire lives, will be dedicated to service to God for his honor and for his glory. For thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. Let's pray. Father, we stand before you this morning, and we say thank you for who you are, 
Thank you for your word, the clear word that you provide. And Lord, it's so easy for us to put the different aspects of our lives into different compartments and to treat them as individual and separate parts. To jump from one compartment to the next as we go about our days and our weeks and our months. And we fail to realize, Father, that every aspect of our life is to come under your lordship. Everything we do, everything we say, everything we think is to honor and to glorify you. And Father, I pray that the church here at Myerstown would be able to have interconnected lives that would honor and glorify you and that no matter where we are, if we're here together or if we're out in our separate areas, your name would get the rightful honor and rightful glory. In Jesus' name, amen.